We're here, man. Another great episode for your earphones or your car or if you listen to Cowboys Court. Cowboy Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 277 of Combos Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Uh, yeah, and share this episode. Share it on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at one to combo that's o-n-e-t-w-o-c-o-m-b-o on instagram you could also find me on twitter at combos court c-o-m-b-o-s-c-o-u-r-t and check out the combos court patreon page i'll leave a link in the description for that today's show mike o'donnell college basketball analyst espn and cbs sports joins into talk basketball with combo just a fantastic conversation we talk about the transfer portal draft sleepers the tbt and more. You can find Mike on Twitter at M-O-D-4-T-H-R-E-E. That's right, Mod43 on Twitter. Enjoy the show. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Mike O'Donnell, college basketball analyst, ESPN and CBS Sports. Welcome to Combo's Court, man. How are you feeling today? Unbelievable, man. You know, if I'm complaining, you can just end the Zoom meeting right now, buddy. This is great. <laughs> you are, you're right. Everything is great. You know, fans are back, and I think that's going to do wonders for the college game when it gets back. We really missed that last season. Oh, I agree. Um, there's, uh, there's just nothing like... Everybody talks about home court advantage, but there is nothing like hitting a big shot when you're away and the crowd goes silence. So you can take the you could take the home court advantage stuff all you want. I agree with you, but man, playing uh, uh, beating a team with a sold out, you know, uh, beating an opposing team with sold out fans, buddy, there is nothing better than that. Most definitely, you know, everything is crazy with the transfer portal these days. And from what I'm hearing, you correct me if I'm wrong. High major schools are going to start recruiting in the transfer portal even more than at the high school level. Is that true? And what effect do you think that'll have in the game of college basketball? Because if some of these mid-major guys could now get some of the best high school talent and then that high school talent ends up staying there, like maybe they have a good experience at the mid-major, you know, like there could even become more parity in the college game. Do you see all of that? And what do you make of all of that? Well, the good thing about college basketball is that there usually is a lot of parity. Now, that was a that's a yeah. deep question there, buddy, because we've got I mean, I, I don't know if we have time to cover all of it in 30 minutes. I will <laughs> tell you this. There are some programs that um, uh, are, are going to just essentially almost shadow recruit certain high school players. But their primary, you know, their primary recruiting is going to be in the transfer portal. What's really interesting is a team like if you take Arkansas and uh, I, I, you know, college basketball extremely well, you, you know that Arkansas and coach Musselman have had great success the last couple of years really quickly. I think quicker than most people have anticipated and he did it to the transfer portal. But the thing about what he did was um, I thought was really interesting. And, and, and he's been on record talking about this. This isn't breaking news. I had a chance to call a few of his games and, 
you know, I asked him about like just the makeup of his, you know, what's the, what's the overall ethos surrounding his roster makeup and how he does that. Cause he's got MBA experience, high school experience, college experience. And he goes, look, you know, the way that players, you know, want playing time right away. He said, it didn't make sense for me to have 12 guys on scholarship with the ability to play right now. It made sense for me to have seven to eight guys on full scholarship uh, that were able to play and three to five guys sitting out because uh, due to transfers, knowing that they, they can't have playing time because of the transfer rule. So uh, they'd have to sit out a year, but then you'd have. Do you feel like his rotation guys. was short? Do you feel like his rotation very was short? short? Yeah. Rotation yeah. was very short is that he didn't want 12 guys on his roster with right. the ability to play meaningful minutes because he's like, well, we'll inevitably lose three to five of those guys. Right. I thought that was really smart. And, and you yeah. saw the kind of success that he had. And a lot of those guys look, when you're in college, you know, it's a little different than the NBA, you know, at that level, you know, you guys, you could play 35 minutes a night and be fine. Cause you're not playing 82 games. Right. right. And you're playing maybe a max 35 games. Uh, with postseason. So um, it's going to be teams like that, that how are they going to navigate the transfer portal now without that redshirt year? Uh, and there are a few teams that did that. Uh, going back to your comment regarding mid-majors, the, the McDonald's All-Americans, those top 15 guys, 15, 20 guys, they're always going to go to the blue bloods, right? They're gonna, it's going to be the Kansas right. Kentucky Duke. Well, now, I mean, quite honestly, you have to throw Gonzaga in there. Um, I mean, they're really, it's crazy. It's crazy. The evolution program of Gonzaga, the last right? five years. Yeah, no question. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But he did it. He did it in a combination where Duke and Kentucky went full one and dones. And <clears throat> excuse me, Gonzaga went, um, they took a patient route and they would start, they built through, they wanted starters that had two to three years playing experience, a couple starters that transferred in. And then one guy that came in, a Jalen Suggs type player. That was a really good recipe for success. Mid-majors, though, I don't think you'll ever see a lot of mid-majors creep into grabbing top 25 talent. I just don't think that'll happen because it'll be a trickle-down effect. If Duke's not getting a, a kid that's ranked 35th because they're paying attention to the transfer market, that means Wake Forest or Virginia Tech's going to get that kid. Um, but I do think you'll see a lot more top 50 kids go to mid-majors primarily for, I mean, if every game's on TV, you know, when you look at ESPN plus CBS sports, everything with Fox stadium, um, every game is on TV and you're not selling at that level. Mid-majors are going to sell, look, you're going to come in here and be our guy or one of the top guys, and you're going to take us to the NCAA tournament. Because if you look at what the NCAA tournament does in terms of a resume, it almost trumps everything you do uh, in the regular season. If you can, if Dante DiVincenzo, barely anybody even knew about Dante DiVincenzo. You, you and I knew about him at Villanova because right, we're, right. We're, we're nuts. We, we have problems. We watch every <laughs> single game. And he came off the bench, but he went berserk in the NCAA tournament, particularly the Final Four. And all of a sudden, he went from not a draft prospect to a top 25 potential lottery pick. It's crazy. It's cra it's crazy because I talked to a kid that went to Villanova and they were like, we all knew he was an NBA player the whole time. You know, it's like what he was doing right, in practice right, and right. over the there. The yeah. general population, but, but you know, it, look, the NBA wants 
the NCAA tournament. They want their players to star in the NCAA tournament because of brand power. So that's what mid-majors are ultimately going to sell. Um, so I think players can make that decision, NBA draft or not. I think they could make it July 7th or before, if I'm not mistaken. Um, who are some of the guys you'd like to see come back to college and who are some of the guys you'd like to see declare? That's a really good question. Um, I'll tell you this. I think Memphis can be a top 20, top 15 team by the time conference play rolls around. If you watch college basketball at all and you watch the last 10 games of what Memphis did, you know, they, they coming off that big NIT run. Um, right. That was there isn't a team in the country that wanted to face Memphis. They didn't let you get in, into any of their stuff. And Memphis, uh, they changed halfway through. Uh, Penny Hardaway changed the system halfway through to a pressing, uh, full-court press, denial, heavy block shot, and their guards were exceptional. Landers Nolly really kind of uh, uh, came on pretty well. If Musa Cisse comes back to Memphis, um, I think – I just don't think we're talking about the Memphis Tigers enough. I think they are a potential Sweet 16 team, especially if Cisse comes back – primarily because they're going to most likely stick with that full core press. And if you have a great anchor and, and Musa Cisse was a fantastic anchor. He's one of the best shot blockers in the country. You, you can take more chances, more chances mean more steals, but they also mean more potential layup opportunities. And Memphis had the number one adjusted rate uh, defensive efficiency per Ken Palm this past season and uh, a bulk of that uh, uh, lineup is coming back and if as Musa Cisse comes back I think he is uh, um, uh, I, I think he changes and puts Memphis in the top 25 top 20 and I'd actually like to stay in the American as well um, if Tyson ATN comes back Wichita State's going to be a tournament team again ATN was was co-player of the year in the American Conference he was a scoring machine he I mean if you watched his game, he was one of the best one-on-one -on -one breakdown destroyer soul type players in crunch time in the last 10 minutes of the game. And if his game increases at all, Tyson Etienne is going to be, I mean, he potentially could be back-to-back -back American conference player of the year and uh, a, a sneaky uh, all American type can. I think he's that good. I think Isaac Brown's done a phenomenal job and that Wichita state team's really, really good if ATN comes back. Yeah, Mike, we cover the draft often here, so I wanted to ask you this. Any draft sleepers you have? I really like Bones Highland game from VCU. Unfortunately, he didn't even get to play in the tournament. That really was unfortunate, man. Uh, hopefully he goes first round. We'll see. He might go second round. Do you have any sleepers that you think will be really good at the NBA level that nobody's really talking about? Well, I, I think of two guys right away, and and I'm really I'm really upset at you, Andrew, because you, you brought Bones Highland's name up, and that's who I was going to go with. He's <laughs> really good. Well, he's just a, he's just an absolute sniper. Um, yeah, and with has, the range, uh, I think his range is underrated. That's what I think is under. He could really get it off from deep. I'm not sure if I've ever seen him hit multiple toe up the line threes. Right. They're all three to four feet beyond the three point line. If you if you're you don't, number one, you don't have to worry about NBA range at all with Bones Highland. I actually think um, what's going to really separate Bones Highland is the defensive system that VCU has makes him a really formidable opponent at the next level because you've got great range. If you can be a three and D point guard, you're going to find time in the NBA. I, I think he's 
I personally would like to see him come back to college basketball because I, I hope I want to call more of his games because he's so good. Right. His deep range, his handle is good. He's, he's ultra smooth. The release is quick. He is just an exceptionally high IQ offensive player in that he doesn't take bad shots. And it's not that it's because he's a great shooter. That is part of it. But he also takes shots in rhythm. It very rarely where you see, and he's just a sophomore, you see him force a three or force a contested shot. But then you couple that with the fact that you can't be soft and you can't be an average defender and play at VCU. It doesn't work right. in Mike Rhodes' system. And that's only going to transfer over for him uh, uh, better. Now, I don't know if he's a sleeper, but for some reason, and correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, I, I don't know why we don't talk about Davion Mitchell more. I think mm -hmm. Jared Butler gets a lot of credit at Baylor and rightfully so. But if you watch the Final Four, if you watch Baylor's NCAA tournament, even, even discounting the regular season, I don't know if there is a stronger physical, more aggressive guard coming in in the draft uh, than Davion Mitchell. He's as athletically gifted as Jalen Suggs. Now, he's not as smooth as Jalen Suggs, but he's got a better step-back jumper. He's more vicious in the pick and roll, and he is going to guard you over 90 feet, and he can, and he will. He is just an absolute dog on defense, and I can't even – you know, it's a joy to watch him play because I would do, I mean, you want to talk about guys you'd want to coach or guys you want to root for. His engine is absurd. I think that when it's all said and done that Davion Mitchell will be the better player than Jared Butler and mm -hmm. will be one of the more famous Baylor basketball players to come out of the draft, not just in these past couple of years, but in the next couple of years moving forward. I think he's that good. Are you concerned about his free throw shooting? Because they always say that's a huge indicator when, you know, when we're thinking about players at the next level. Here's what I'll say this. You watched him play. You couldn't tell me that, that he was one of the top three, top two best point guards in the NCAA yeah. tournament. Yeah, he's a gamer. There's no doubt he's a gamer. Yeah. You can, you, you we're all, you're, you're an NBA draft analyst. So it's your job to do this. And I think we can pick apart guys a lot. But if the worst thing you're coming at me is his free throw shooting, <laughs> I'm okay with that. You know, it's not a knock on your analysis. It's more of, okay, do I want to, if, if Davion Mitchell was the exact same player, but he couldn't shoot the three, because he can shoot the three. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different conversation because yeah. he, he is, he's an absolute knockdown three point. He's not one of the best three pointers in the country, but if you're shooting close to 40%, with that type of handle and the ability to break down the pick and roll. I go, my concern with your NBA draft analysis, Andrew, is that you need to go back and watch more Davion Mitchell. Go back, <laughs> go back and watch, watch the final four again and, 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 and see how disruptive he was on both ends. I think Davion Mitchell is the most disruptive player in the draft. We talk about the free throw shooting. We'll stay away from that for now, but I do think he's a gamer. I do think he's a gamer. But I wanted to talk to you about Sharif Cooper. Um, yeah. Man, he's so fun to watch, right? So yeah. fun to watch. And his free throw shooting is actually good. But we'll stay away from free throw shooting. But obviously, he's probably the best passer in the draft. Just incredibly fun to watch. They say defense is an issue, but he could actually slide his feet. I mean, he's an athletic kid, but he is small for the next level. How do you think his game will translate? kind of at a point now to where if you're watching the NBA and I'm not saying he's as good or going to be as good as Trey Young, but, but 
size is not, you know, is not a concern for me for Sharif Cooper. And not to say that, you know, Andrew, I'd probably like to see him in, and I watched four of his games this past season. I was really bummed. I was, I, I was, uh, I called the UCF Auburn game this past season, but he wasn't eligible yet. He was still going through some of that uh, NCAA situation. Right, um, right. I think Sharif Cooper, uh, he has the potential to be the best passer out of anybody in the draft. You mentioned, you mentioned that. He, he, ma- he, makes, a, he makes a tough play look effortless. That's yeah, he well, he's ultra smooth. Well, he's actually, if, if he's the best overall passer, I can get behind that. I think Sharif Cooper is the best passer off the bounce in, in college basketball this past season. Oh, yeah. His ability to manipulate the defense in the lane he makes one-handed uh, 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 passes off the dribble, right off the bounce, better than – I mean, it's been two or three years since I've seen a guy be that good of, uh, of knifing a pass through the paint. You know, um, there's a great phrase that I love to use for guards that are great passers, uh, that are the best passers in college basketball. He throws people open, right? To a good point guard, someone may not be open because you just can't see everything. But Sharif Cooper has the speed and the handle to throw guys open that may not even be expecting the pass, you know, kind of like that, that Pete Maravich old school mentality of where you can throw guys open that aren't expecting it. Sharif Cooper has that. He is really special. Some, uh, and now plenty of steals, that's fine. Some defensive question marks, but offensively, Andrew, you know, if, if, is he the Trey Young of this draft? He could be. I just think that he puts more emphasis on playmaking from a passing yep. standpoint than Trey Young does. If three-point shot needs to improve, it's not bad. It does need to improve. But how he manipulates the ball screen, ball screen defenses will be, you know, that, that'll show what the kind of thing that Sharif Cooper can do. What do you feel are some of the best recruiting classes uh, coming into the season? I know we have Gonzaga. We have Michigan has a really nice class. Uh, who do you like? Oh, at uh, uh, Michigan. Uh, there, yeah, there's yeah. no question. I, I think I, uh, I'm i a little bit biased because I had a chance to call a couple of their games. Um, but she, everybody wondered if Juwan Howard, you know, nobody uh, – can he recruit? You know, can NBA guys recruit? Can he get players? Man, I mean, uh, Musa Diabite, you know, is really, really good. But I think Caleb Houston is the – could be the most pro-ready freshman scorer uh, in college basketball. He's ultra smooth. He's a big, strong body. He looks like he's played in the NBA for three years. He's physically mature. Um, he actually, the best thing he does is, you know, nobody wants to talk about it. It's kind of boring. I think he might be one of the best high school basketball effects I've seen coming off single down screens of where he only has two or three feet of space, single down screen comes and he can catch and shoot, curl, fade and, and uh, um, or catch and rip and go off a single down screen. And, and Michigan's offense, offense, they do plenty of five out, but they have a lot of great sets to where a lot of zoom, uh, a lot of uh, um, horn zoom sets where there's single down screens for shooters to mm-hmm. come off and you know defense, pick your poison. You know, am I going to go over top or underneath? He's so big, strong, and smooth that he might be the best. Uh, I, he's going to be one and done uh, because of his ability to score. Uh, he's just 
so, so smooth. There's a lot of, there's a, he's a, he's a combination between Joe Johnson and Paul George and how they play. And they're just ultra smooth. They're big guards. They can shoot over just about anybody. I I think Michigan's recruiting class because of Caleb, Caleb Houston's the best in the country. Speaking of Joe Johnson, are you excited for the TBT coming up? He played last year. You can't love basketball and not be excited about the TBT. <laughs> I, I was, you know, um, I love that. Um, what they have done in the face, everybody said it wouldn't work. And not only did has it worked for years, they were really the first sporting events for uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Out, I mean, they and they did it right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was it was awesome. Um, and then to have Travis Diener, you know, old man Travis Diener, I can say that because I'm an old man too, um, hobbling around and hitting the game-winning three for, for the Marquette alumni team. <laughs> right, that was crazy. Yeah. That was crazy. Uh, nah, man, it, it, it's, it started out as fun basketball, but now it's, it's some of the best high-level ball you'll come across on TV. And it gets great numbers on ESPN. Uh, great viewership numbers. Um, I, I, I think, you know, the Marquette team is really good. Um, but uh, I haven't had a chance to take a, too much of a deep dive, only the fact that I really think the Ohio State alumni team might have it, might have in for another run because Aaron Kraft is back. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting. Uh, Carmelo on Syracuse. That's not going to happen, man. That, that, <laughs> hey, jo- wait. Well, let me ask you this: Is you're, you're, you're you know, not, is the wait, wait, wait? Is the levels between Joe Johnson and Carmelo that great, right? That different right now? No, well, probably you give the edge to Carmelo a little bit, right? The edge, the edge, yeah. But we got Joe Johnson. Carmelo retires and he plays in the TBT. I don't know of a better situation for the TBT that you could have possibly imagined. You know, right. I mean, just how cool is it that? Joe Johnson was going up against not John Elmore of Marshall, but John Elmore's brother, Ott, backing him down yeah. the post. And Ott had just been playing pickup on Sunday mornings at the Y. Um, but even that's that, a great thing. The stories are great. Yeah. But even that team, though, Andrew, like if you watch them offensively, they run they run that Marshall five out ball screen. Um, uh, uh, it's, it, you, you got to pick your decision, right? You, uh, defensively, are, are we going to give up the three or we're going to give up a layup? And it's either lob or three for that, that herd TBT team, that Marshall alumni team. And they run it, they run it exceptionally well. The, the, the level of play is just through the roof, man. It's really fun. I, you know, I, also, I would like to see a G league team in there. That'd be fun. I think that'd be fun. Wow, that's really cool to see it. Now, I don't, the G League would never do it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I'll tell you, buddy, that's an awesome, awesome idea. Um, it, especially if you put that G League select team in there. Yeah. If there was a team they were going to do it, it would be with that G League select team. The players that opted out of college decided to go play for that select team. Line them up uh, against overseas elite. Yeah. I mean, uh, overseas elite is, I mean, th- th- those guys are pros pro right there. Oh, they yeah. I mean, to me, that that team would in the G League would be an above average team easily, easily. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with you because yeah. they're, it's, it's not just throwing a couple guys together and putting an offense in. I mean, they're running high level overseas concepts and, right. and guys are, but they're also playing. That's their that's their life, man they're playing for that bank at the end, right? They're playing for that Zelle payment. 
And uh, <laughs> right, they are, man. That's it's a couple million bucks split split between ten guys. That's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, I'd like to I'd like to sit right on the bench for a couple of games for that. Are you kidding me? That'd be awesome. What are your thoughts on the Elon Mending? Would you like to see it in college or the NBA, or leave it right in the TBT? What do you think? No, I think it's perfect in the TBT. I think it's great for the NBA All Star Game. Um, I, I I I love the. Um, I love the fact that every game ends on a quote unquote game winner. I think it's really cool. We've seen with the Elam ending that um, the time of play is about the same, if not really a little bit less. Uh, I think it would be very difficult when you're talking about bringing into the college game. I don't think you could do it. Uh, The NBA wouldn't want to do it because you would, it would just eliminate so many um, marketing opportunities from a TV uh, standpoint, mm-hmm. um, there, that's that's a that's a lot of inside baseball talk, and and maybe one day we might have that, but we also, I love to this day still five four three two one, and Dame Lillard lets it fly from from forty two feet, you know, um, yeah. There, there's nothing that will replace it. I think the Elam ending. The Elam ending and the TBT are a perfect marriage. The NBA All-Star game for years and years was, was super boring. Nobody really cared about it. It was about the events before and after. But now you made it where uh, guys are really getting after it uh, uh, to, 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 to end the game. And I think that's really – it's perfect for the NBA All-Star game. Yeah, Mike, uh, uh, last thing before we get out of here, um, I saw some of your tweets about Chris Paul getting into the mid-range, you know, and uh, he's really, man, I mean, Chris Paul was always a great, right? But I think that this really did something even more for his legacy, this playoff run. And if he wins a championship, what do you think that would mean for his legacy? Oh, if he wins an NBA title, um, you're looking at top three, Worst case scenario, top five point guard of all time. Uh, if he, if Chris Paul doesn't ever win an NBA title, he is the, maybe the greatest player in the history of the NBA to never win a title. Um, just, it pains me to say this, not because I dislike Chris Paul, I love Chris Paul, but because of my severe love, inappropriate love for John Stockton. Um, <laughs> He's the greatest pick and roll player of all time. Chris Paul, uh, he is. There hasn't been a, there has never been a player that can manipulate a a defensive pick and roll coverage like Chris Paul. Now your mid-range conversation, I only say that because the analytics guys get all really upset. And I'm not uh, uh, anti-analytics guys, because if you say you're anti-analytics, then you don't understand the game at all. And you don't realize that analytics have been in the game literally forever. It's just at a much more detailed space now. Um, Here's my thing on Chris Paul mid-range jumpers and really just a mid-range jump shot. I understand projected value of shots. I, I was a player, I was either getting a backdoor layup or I was shooting a three. I know my mid range was extremely consistent. I just didn't get that shot very often. But when I played that part of the court inside the three point line, right outside the paint was very clustered. There just wasn't many opportunities to shoot the mid range, but Andrew, it comes down to this. 
if you practice, if you practice a shot and you're consistent at a shot and you can make the shot around a 50% clip or just under, that's a good shot. I understand the value from a macro standpoint, but if a player shoots anywhere close to 50% from the mid range and he's making three to four out of six a game, that's a good shot. (laughs) It drives me crazy. You shouldn't pass up open shots. We saw a lot. We saw that really hurt the Houston Rockets in the NBA uh, the the, the past couple of seasons really hurt the Rockets, but I feel like you're about to come back at me with a whole lot of deep dive. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, (laughs) No, my thing is, I think somebody with an analytic perspective wouldn't disagree with a lot of what you're saying. I don't think that somebody with an analytic perspective would say that Chris Paul getting into the mid range, especially if there's like drop coverage or something, and he has an open mid range shot off the dribble is a bad shot. Right. I think the thing is, is like long twos catch and shoot when you could just stretch that out and make it a three, especially from like, maybe like a big man, you know? So I don't, you know, I don't think like every, somebody with an analytic analytic perspective will tell you like, we need KD Kawhi, Chris Paul to get in the mid range and knock down that shot off the dribble. I think from an analytic perspective, I keep saying that over and over again, they don't want the spot up long two. You know, I think that's what it is. Well, nobody does because nobody practices that shot. Right. 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 Well, there was, there there was more of it back in the eighties, right? Like Charles Oakley. Right. There was guys like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, the only thing. And shouts to Charles Oakley. No, even when I was playing, right. Late nineties, early two thousands. If your foot's on the three-point line, if your heels are on the three-point line, if your toes, if you're if you're on, that's terrible shot, right? Make or miss, awful shot. Everybody knows that. It's more of of analytics guys hate the mid-range because they say, and, and the numbers the numbers make sense that the projected value for a 16-foot jump shot doesn't even come close to the project, projected value make or miss of a three of a three-point shot. It it, it doesn't, and, and I understand, and and I get it. The most open part of the court right now is what Chris Paul f- found out. 15 yeah. to 17 feet is wide open and he shoots it at a really high clip. So it's not a bad shot. So all you right. analytics guys, like you, you, you scream at me all you want. If it's a, <laughs> if you practice a good shot is a shot that you can make close to 50% of the time. Yeah. That's- I, I, pre- I, you know, I'm, I come from a player's perspective, but I appreciate the analytic perspective. I appreciate everybody's perspective. And sometimes I disagree with them. And sometimes I agree with them, you know, it's we're all trying to figure out what's going on here. We're not. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, most analytics guys um, get a bad rap because what, right. you know, the average fan will say, you're just crunching numbers and you're behind a computer all day. And, 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 and some guys, yeah, but the majority of guys are trying to are watching at, a lot of film. They're watching a lot majority, yeah. And a, an absurd amount of film. Yeah, right, and, absurd, right. and, and they're trying to maximize a player's efficiency. I mean, that's ultimately what they're trying to do and yeah, a team's efficiency. Yeah. So you, you, know, you, you can't fault them for trying to find efficiencies, but if, you're, if your search for efficiency then um, puts a player in a box and a box and the player becomes frozen and unsure what to do, that's when you run into trouble. Yeah. Mike, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I don't do anything on Instagram. There's, there's no point for that. But I'm on Twitter at MOD43. That's uh, MOD and the number four and then the word three. Thanks so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Thanks for having me, Andrew. 
There it is, another episode of Combos Court is in the books. Thank you to everyone who listens to the show across the globe. And big shouts to Mike for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't already, punch down on that subscribe button. If you're listening to the show on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating and a comment. Would be great to hear your feedback. Check out the Combos Court Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. And share this episode, man. Share it with a friend. Share it on Twitter. Share it on LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at 1-2-Combo on Instagram. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 278-Combo out.